The last online agricultural summit of the year takes place this week. What can we expect? So we're looking at yeah, the crucial issues around um, farm, food, retail, um, how COVID impacted the supply chain this year, looking for solutions to maximising business efficiency um, and really inspiring the whole sector really to get together. And we'll get an update on how the coming months could mean an increase in calls on the services of one farming charity. We need a kind winter where livestock can be turned out early and obviously a dry winter as well so the land's not too wet. So there's a lot of things come into play with this at the minute that still uh, we're not sure about. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, welcome. Hope you've had a good week despite the weather of the last few days. Sean Sparling here with Agronomy Later, plus Kit takes a look at the markets and prices and we'll see what the weather holds in store for the week ahead. Cold by the looks of it. DEFRA is set to announce a poultry housing order that will force free-range flocks to be kept indoors amid a growing threat from avian flu. This is after a further outbreak at a farm in North Allerton last week. The British Free Range Egg Producers Association say it's following a similar pattern to the last major avian flu outbreak in 2016-2017. Lama has moved next year's show to the 25th-26th of May from its traditional early January slot at the NEC, hopefully to get back to an in-person event. However, Borderway and Kenilworth have both already cancelled their 2021 events. We've talked about horticulture and more recently potatoes and the strained relationship between growers and the AHDB. Many Lincolnshire growers are objecting to the payment of the levy and a ballot will be held in January. Well, there's a series of online events planned for mid-December, giving you the chance to have your say on the AHDB's new five-year strategy. If you'd like to know more and register for the events, visit ahdb.org.uk slash horticulture dash town dash hall. And a new online soil health guide has been published called The Good Soil Guide. It's a collaboration between Yorkshire Water and Future Food Solutions. It's a free-to-access online encyclopedia and it's available at soilguide.co.uk. DEFRA have been in the news in the last few days with a couple of significant announcements regarding live animal exports and payments to farmers. Sending live animals abroad for slaughter and fattening will be banned in England and Wales under new plans. Environment Secretary George Eustace said the ban could be enforced by the end of 2021 in a post-Brexit break from EU trade rules which allow for animals to be transported abroad for slaughter. The RSPCA welcomed the move, saying it will be a landmark achievement for animal welfare, but the NFU is calling for improvements to export rules rather than an outright ban. The government's launching an eight-week consultation on the plan, which includes measures to cut the amount of time animals spend in trucks within the UK. A package of reforms is then expected to come before Parliament next summer. If you want to have your say in that consultation, just search Improvements to Animal Welfare in Transport. We know that BPS, the Farm Subsidy Basic Payment Scheme, is to be replaced with ELMS, the Environment Land Management Scheme, to reward farmers for work to enhance the environment rather than for just, quote, producing crops. So far, that's about all we've known. DEFRA Secretary George Eustace made a statement on the subject the other day. Uh, Stuart Roberts, Deputy President of the NFU, good morning. What do we know now that we didn't know last week? Well, on the uh, on the one side of the equation, Steve, we've we've learned quite a bit. Uh, so, in terms of cuts to BPS, we now have 
the level of those cuts and they are very significant you know for for some farmers we estimate it could mean them losing somewhere between possibly 60 and 80 percent of their income by 2024 so on the one side of the equation we've learned uh, quite a bit this week on the other side of the equation um, it was more an announcement about future announcements we still have very little detail about uh, what schemes will replace the uh, the BPA money that's taken away, uh, what will be the, the rules for those, what will be the payment terms. Uh, so still uh, a lack of detail where detail is needed. The, the reduction in BPS, which starts next year, is a gradual thing. It's, it's not suddenly potentially losing 80% of income all in one go. It is gradual, depending on the size of the farm. In the first year, uh, farmers will see a cut of between 5 and and 20% of their BPS payment. But actually, we have projected for for upland farmers and for lowland livestock farmers, by the time we get to 2024, their incomes will be reduced by between 60 and 80%. So forget uh, where the BPS is. Their total income will have reduced by that amount because of the cuts that were announced earlier this week but we don't know what's going to replace it in detail we know it's public money for public goods and it's environmental schemes but we don't actually know the detail yet we, we we don't. And and what we don't know is there's talk of a sustainable farming scheme, uh, which is something we ourselves have talked about, um, because I think it's really important that we don't uh, put farmers in this position where they have a, a binary choice, if you like, between farming for the environment or farming for food production. Most farmers uh, are in a symbiotic relationship where we produce food, but we also care and enhance the environment and it's vital that future schemes recognize that those two things need to go hand in hand it's not one or the other the tenant farmers association has said that farmers in england will be left feeling very worried uh, following the announcement of defra's agricultural transition plan tfa national chairman mark coleman said there is broad acceptance that we need to change the way farmers are rewarded by reallocating money paid through the basic payment scheme into schemes targeting public benefits productivity and resilience However, the announcement made by DEFRA tells us with great clarity how much we'll be losing in terms of the BPS without giving anything like the detail needed to understand how this can be recouped through the new schemes. By 2024, the plan is that all current recipients of BPS will have seen their payments reduced by at least half. Whilst they will be given access to new schemes, no details of the payments available have been given so far. We've been over four years discussing these policy changes, said Mark Coleman, and with only days to go before the plan comes into effect in January, it's inexcusable that we find ourselves in the position of lacking much of the essential detail. We need to have very early engagement with DEFRA on how the new schemes will be rolled out so that farm businesses have the information needed to plan. Apart from what we know we are losing, the way ahead is far from clear. That statement from TFA chairman Mark Coleman. We will, of course, keep you up to date with developments on the farming programme as and when we get more details. Let's turn to agronomy now. Sean Sparling has some timely advice for us. Morning, Sean. 
Yes, morning, Steve. Um, this will be short and sweet. It's getting to be that time of year, isn't it? So we'll start with oilseed rape. It's go, go, go for the curb and propizamide containing product. And they're OK on a damp or even a frosted leaf, but not if you've got a fungicide or insecticide in there or a additional graminicide. If you've anything other than propizamide product in the tank, don't put it onto a frosted or wet leaf. You need some form of contact activity. Um, the oilseed rape is actually growing like bilio out there on some farms. So maybe less Letting those more forward canopies open up a little bit might not be the worst thing you do. Remember, propizamide needs to be in contact with the blackgrass roots for a period of time in order to kill them. So you have to make a call on that yourself. Don't just apply it in order to tick a box and get a job out of the way. Do it properly and get the most for your money. Light leaf spot has definitely increased over the last few weeks, but these cold temperatures will slow that right down. Remember, any fungicide you put on for light leaf spot is protectant only, and if the crops just going into stasis or tick over mode that light leaf spot isn't going to get any worse but generally i think the oilseed rate looks absolutely fantastic a little bit of nitrogen deficiency out there but i'm very happy with all of mine cereals just a bit of bydv spraying i think going on on some of these fields out there but if you haven't put an insecticide on for bydv aphids yet i'm really struggling to find any on my farms to mean anything i'm finding a lot of spiders still out there so don't panic because there is some very good data out there at the moment that backs up what many of us have felt and if you remember the last bad BYDV year which I think was 2011 the only crops that weren't affected by BYDV that year had had deter or the neonicotinoid seed dressings put on them fields treated with pyrethroids in the autumn in that year had plenty of BYDV in them so that tells you they're not as effective as perhaps we would like them to be now there's a three-year trial been done down in the southwest which is the highest risk area for BYDV where aphids were monitored weekly and the untreated treated fields were compared to single and multiple applications of pyrethroid and they also had in that trial barley yellow dwarf virus tolerant varieties too um, and this was five sites 2017 to 2019 and they came up with four conclusions firstly there was no significant levels of aphid seen nothing worth treating secondly no barley yellow dwarf virus seen in the field symptoms out there in the field thirdly there was no yield benefit from the use of pyrethroids in that situation and fourthly there was no yield benefit from drilling a tolerant variety in other words aphids are not a problem every year you have to monitor them it's crucial that we do that and if we're not finding them we shouldn't be spraying for them that's what IPM is so just take account of that when you're making your decision and whether you want to go and make ruts if you can find more predators than pests you should be preserving the predators so also take account of soil conditions for late herbicide applications on cereals. There are slugs about, but ferrous phosphate is far better in these conditions. If you need a slug pellet, that's probably the one to go with over metaldehyde, with it being as wet as it is. Monitor and traps, that's the best defence. Get out there and look for them, get your slug traps out and, and keep your eyes peeled. That's the best way to approach it, really. Crops that are already through the ground will stand a bit of grazing and a bit of crop uh, slug damage more than those that which have just 
been drilled because the risk of grain hollowing is far higher on those. But slug numbers seem far lower for me now than I would expect them to be. So perhaps last autumn's wet weather did some good on the slug population as well. So I'm just planning for spring now, really. Disease and weed monitoring is what I'm doing out in the field. I'm mapping disease areas, mapping weed areas and putting all those notes on my crop sheets ready for the spring. But you just get the feeling that it is now starting to feel a little bit like Christmas, don't you? And with that announcement on elms and the way they're going to change the way farmers are paid going forward i just feel that for christmas it would be quite nice if there was some sort of reliable guide or some basic idea of what the whole elm system and the future of farming holds so let's see what the next seven days bring but hopefully there'll be some clarity on that but i'm not going to hold my breath you may well be holding your breath for some considerable time sean many thanks as ever sean sparling sparling agronomy services back same time next week This week sees the second Women in Food and Agriculture Summit. Online this year, not surprisingly, Olivia Midgley, one of the organisers and one of the speakers at the event, is on the line. Olivia, tell us first a little bit about Women in Food and Agriculture. Yeah, so Women in Food and Agriculture was actually set up um, because we identified this underrepresentation, really, of women in our agribusiness sector. So that's from the, the farming level up to the, you know, the top end of, of agribusiness. Um, so we've, you know, agriculture and food and farming has always been a fairly male-dominated sector. Mm. But this is changing. But what it has been slower to change in the level, um, that level of women in the more senior roles in the sector, um, and that's not just um, agriculture, of course, that is actually across the board. There's only about 20% of women in senior leadership roles um, and at that executive board level. So this whole movement really is about bringing people together. It's not men versus women either. Um, it's about bringing everyone together to see how we can bring about positive change and find the solutions so that we can really drive that change in terms of diversity and inclusion. So moving away from the uh, stereotypical farmer's wife image. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there's, there's such a breadth of, of careers as well in agriculture that I think people, you know, hear food and farming and think, oh, well, it's a, you know, it's a, a man driving a tractor. But, you know, mm. it's so much more than that. We've got cutting edge technology, you know, opportunities for global travel. There's so many different opportunities, you know, in engineering, science, technology. And I think that, you know, this as well is about, promoting that breadth of careers as well and and just different um, pathways that this sector can take you. Last year it was the Netherlands. Uh, For obvious reasons, no physical summit this year. What can we expect from the digital summit? It's definitely not another webinar. I think people have kind of got webinar fatigue um, this year with COVID. This is really, um, we've worked really hard actually to to make it feel like a, um, you know, like a summit. Um, so there'll be, you know, some of the world leading thinkers there, practitioners, academics from top firms in agriculture and the food sector. Um, but I think what what's really key here is that it, it really stands up as a as a you know an agribusiness conference. So we're looking at you know the crucial issues around um, farms, food, retail, um, how COVID's impacted the supply chain this year. Looking for solutions to maximising business efficiency. Um, and really inspiring the whole sector, really, to get together um, and help shape this sustainable future, really, for the industry after the most unusual year. 
<laughs> yeah, you can say that again. So plenty of speakers, plenty of educational opportunities. Any social or networking element to it? One of the key barriers, actually, that women told us that was kind of holding them back in the sector is that opportunity to network and also the fact that there was a very few female mentors so for example if you can't see a woman like you in a senior role then you might think well how am I going to get there um, so I think this event really again is about bringing women and, and men as well from across the piece so that we can help develop people in this sector so that when we get good talent we retain it and that people can progress the careers as well. Excellent. Sounds like a busy couple of days. It's on Tuesday and Wednesday this week, the 8th and 9th. When and where? What's uh, Where can we get information? What's the cost? How do we get tickets and so on? I'd encourage your listeners, Steve, to head to wfasummit.com where everything is, is there. There's the whole uh, programme, there's a, a packed agenda. Um, it's over two days. And I think there's some um, discounted tickets available as well. So it's worth just heading to the website and having a look around and, and hopefully we'll see you all there. That website one more time. It's wfasubit.com. Olivia Midgley, many thanks for joining us on the farming programme this morning. Thanks, Steve. Forage Aid is all about coordinating the goodwill of the agricultural community to help farms when extreme weather hits or an act of God causes severe hardship to a farmer and his or her animals. Uh, They work with Farming Help, the RABI, the FCN, the RSABI, often to provide emergency forage or bedding that's donated by other farmers across the UK. Forage Aid was set up by Lincolnshire farmer Andrew Ward seven years ago. He's with us this morning. Andrew, uh, fair to say that this has been a year when help generally has been needed more than normal and not just as a result of the weather. Are you finding your services being called upon a lot at the moment? Yeah, we've had two or three people come to us for help in the last two or three weeks, but afraid to say that they they were financial. We had one real sad case where we had a a young chap, 22-year-old, applied to us for, for help. Um, his father committed suicide oh, and uh, left him with the farm. And the young chap hadn't had much to do with running of the farm. His father had done it all and left him with um, yeah, with, with a lot of problems that the, the young guy tried to sort out and he got no money to buy anything with. So we've been looking at that and we've got other charities helping us with that one. But that's the sort of typical situation that we would get involved in. But the, the, the shortage of straw this harvest is going to be a, a real issue going forward into into or after the winter when it really hits. What can what can we do about that? I mean, everybody's short of straw, aren't they? So if you're looking for donations, that's going to be difficult, isn't it? This is the problem that we do get, Steve, with this. That when we have a flood or a weather event, they're normally quite localised, and so we do get. Um, donations from uh, other areas of the country who obviously aren't affected by the weather events and so we get donations which are fine but the problem with the, with the drought and with the weather we've had is that it's nationwide and when we request straw or silage or haylage or whatever we're after when there's a nationwide event it is very very much more difficult to come by and farmers who are livestock farmers themselves have not got much to spare can you get donations of anything else that would help it's an interesting point you can look at alternative bedding um, sources and alternative products and so there are various compost paper i suppose is one that people can use and we are looking at uh, at that at the moment with with other companies um but it is really straw is the one thing that that, that is used and and it's just a case of trying to maximize this the straw that's out there 
Of course, the other thing that really impacts on it is the weather. We, we need a kind winter where livestock can be turned out early and obviously a dry winter as well so the land's not too wet. So it, there's, there's a lot of things come into play with this at the minute that still uh, we're not sure about. So how does forage aid work then? Forage aid o- operates mainly on the back of an extreme weather event, but also we've just altered our, our charity um, remit or constitution to take in an act of God, such as COVID or even foot and mouth or something like that. But we, we'll get farmers uh, come to us who say they are, are short of straw or silage or, or a, a product for the livestock. And we don't just automatically help somebody who comes to us. They will get a visit from one of the other charities who we work with. And then the assessment will then come to us with a recommendation from this other charity. If that recommendation then is successful, we then go out into the farming community, ask for straw or silage or hay or whatever the person requires. And then we find a haulier um to do this so you obviously don't you don't keep stock of things if something happens you've got to go and find out do you, do you have partners do you have farms around the the country who sort of registered with you to saying we're willing to donate if something comes up yes we do try and plan before the winter such as this year because we know there's going to be problems and we do try and get an indication from farmers who are willing to supply us with something, uh, you know, as a donation. And that also works with hauliers as well. We have a a database of hauliers because one thing we say to hauliers is that this will not get any financial recompense for them. It's all a goodwill, but there'll be a huge amount of exposure on television and social media and in in the press. So for their um, sort of goodwill, that's that's what they get paid for is is in exposure. And if somebody either wants to get in touch with you who has a problem, has a need, or on the other side of the coin, wants to be able to help if they can, how can they get in touch with you? Where can they find out more? The farming helpline number is 03000-1199. Let's hope you're not called on too much over the winter, Andrew. Yeah, thank you, Steve. It's it's one of those things that we've preparing ourselves as best we can but it's it's one of these things it's an unknown factor absolutely okay thanks andrew great that's lovely to say thank you ever so much for that let's see what the markets have been doing this week now with the latest prices morning kit dickinson well good morning steve this week has been a reasonably quiet week compared to previous weeks with the market trading two pounds down at the time of writing which given the high prices we are currently seeing and have seen for the last couple of months there has been a reduced volume this week traded on futures and at the farm gate Compared to this time last year, there is a much higher volume of wheat in the ground, UK-wide and in Lincolnshire. But some areas have still been affected by bad weather. The east of England has had a much higher volume of rain in comparison to Lincolnshire, and they have struggled to get wheat in the ground in good conditions. There have been reports that some growers haven't got any wheat drilled at all, and are planning to completely spring crop everything for a second year running. The question on the back of this is how much wheat will we have in the UK and will we be an exporter for 2021 crop? Given the current prices for new crop at 152 and above for September onwards, it is worth taking some cover at these levels. The feed-based prices are available for premiums to be added after harvest when the quality of the crop has been established. Looking at all seed rate, the all seed rate market again has been fairly quiet in the lead up to Christmas and on the back of prices reducing. This is due to a falling Chicago market and weather concerns across America. The S&D remains tight with limited imports arriving in the UK ports, 
but this is adding support to our market and keeping the prices where they are. There is the possibility that the smaller crushes or crushes inland could struggle to fulfil their demand with limited supply. Overall, the EU needs to import 6 million tonnes of oilseed rape to fulfil the demand that we have seen in previous years, and currently there is still a long way to go. The bean market has seen a lack of offers recently with limited demand especially for human consumption quality. Covid has not been helping this as many countries, Egypt to name one, are not importing. This has meant that there are a limited number of contracts to fulfil. So looking at prices this week for feed wheat, December 189 to 191, February 190 to 192, May 192 to 194 and November 21 new crop 152 to 154. Milling wheat premiums are currently 20 to 22 pounds. Oil seed rape for December is 351 to 353, February 352 to 354, and the same for May at 352 to 354. Feed barley December 142 to 144, the same for February at 142 to 144, May. 144 to 146 and November new crop 137 to 139. Malting barley premiums are currently unchanged at £10 for a 185 nitrogen and £20 for a 165. Thank you very much. Many thanks as ever. Kit Dickinson from Open Field. The Farming Programme. Five day forecast. A cold and mostly dry start to the week after some rain this morning. Quite calm today with highs of 4 Celsius brighter this afternoon. Monday should be dry with a gentle breeze, mostly from the northwest. Cloudy and cold with lows of 1 Celsius overnight and highs of 4. Tuesday brings some brisker winds from the southwest and in the mid teens MPH. Rains likely in the afternoon highs of 5 Celsius and Wednesday brings a rainy morning but mostly dry for the rest of the day winds from the southwest up to 10 to 12 miles per hour a little warmer with a high of 7 Celsius forecast on Thursday the wind picks up again up to 20 miles per hour gusting to the mid 30s and from the south rains likely for most of the day and again a little warmer with temperatures touching double figures just the weekends with some more brisk winds from the south and west rain likely on Friday and Saturday with highs of 9 to 11 Celsius right that's it for this week the farming program is now available on the Lynx FM website the app and from wherever you get your podcasts I'm Steve Orchard until next Sunday stay safe Stay positive and have a good farming week.